Good morning, RCC. How are you guys this morning? Good, good. I want to say welcome. Welcome to all of our campuses. Uh, my name is Gray. I'm one of the pastors here at RCC. And uh, super glad to be here in week three of our series, Rebel with a Cause. Now, if you missed week one or two, go back and listen. Uh, but this morning, as we get started, I want to ask a question, just one question that Katie asked in week one. All right. So I need your participation on all of our campuses. Be bold right here. Now, Katie asked two questions, but I'm only asking one. If you are a rebel, raise your hand. Come on now, be honest, be honest. This is a place, this is a safe place, okay? On all our campuses, this is a safe place. Nobody's gonna judge you, all right? All right, so uh, here's some things you need to know about rebels as we, as we continue in this series. Number one, and, and if you were sitting by a rebel, you can confirm these. Now, if you're a rule follower, uh, just keep taking notes or doing whatever you guys do. Um, but but if, if you're a rebel, here's some things you need to know. Number one, rebels have more fun, right? Um, and and that's, just a, that's just a reality. Rebels have more fun. Now, with that is rebels usually have more consequences too. Um, but but nonetheless, we have more fun. Second thing you need to know about rebels is, is, is rebels don't like to be told to do things. All right. So most of you, if you have children, especially if you have teenagers, you have a house full of rebels, right? They, they don't want to be told anything, to do anything. But then the third thing about being a rebel is it's one thing to tell a rebel to do something. Man, it is a whole other ball game to tell a rebel not to do something. Like, if you tell a rebel not to do something, it is an open invitation to do the very thing you ask them not to do. Like you, you would be better off dealing with a rebel. You would be better off hoping and praying that that thing never comes to their mind than telling them not to do it and bringing it to the forefront of their mind. Because if you tell them not to do it, and again, if you have children, this is all children are like little rebels. If you have children, you know this. If you say don't do something or do not, it's like, holy cow, like, that's an amazing idea. I think I will. Thank you for sharing that, mom, dad, you know, boss, you know. Thank you for sharing that, spouse. I think I'll, I'll walk down that road that you told me not to walk down. And so let me give you a case in point for me as we get started. So when, uh, when I was in college, actually my wife and I were at the same college. Uh, I was a sophomore. This is something someone told me not to do. At our, at our university, there was a, our cafeteria on one side of the road. And on the other side of the road, there was basically everything else or everywhere else that you wanted to go all right and, and apparently our campus police at this particular college didn't uh, believe that we were smart enough to look both ways uh, when crossing the road and because of the high traffic from the cafeteria to these other places on campus they would block that road now the problem with that is is that that was the quickest way between two points that was the straight line and, uh, and, and for all of us that were rebels, we don't get up early. We get there just in time, if we get there in time at all. And so to make our path longer was frustrating. And so what they did is they would put these barriers, basically big sawhorses, on either end of the road. Well, for us as rebels, it was like, oh, now we have a cause. We'll just move those out of the way. We'll do a favor for all the other rebels on campus, and we'll move these barriers out of the way and, and then still drive our cars through. And uh, so we did that, and of course, that didn't go well with the campus police. And so then they got really smart. This was a really great idea. They had this beat-up old police car that stayed parked on one side of the road. And, and this, is, this is what they did. They said, well, every morning, we'll just back that police car into the middle of the road where they can't get around it, all right? And so that's what they did. So they backed it up, and sure enough, we're like, gum, man. 
these guys are pretty sharp. And I was like, we, we can't pick these things, we can't pick the car up and move it. And, and, then, and then we had an idea. I was like, what if, what if at night, because at night they would, after, after school hours, they would move it back in the parking place. What if at night we deflated all the tires? Now, I'm not talking about slashing tires, okay? I'm not a criminal, right? But, but um, so what if we just deflate all the tires, just, you know, push the pin in, then the next morning, they're not going to back it up. And, and so sure enough, we snuck out there one night, uh, deflated all the tires. Well, then the next day, obviously, the car wasn't in place, and, and we were the, like the quiet heroes. Everybody was so happy that they could get to where they needed to go, and, and you know, we were just kind of in the quiet, like, yeah, we did that. That's us, you know, and, but there's no way we we're going to say that. Well, then we got this other idea. Because that was really easy. Now, and this is where I should say uh, we should do a disclaimer that RCC uh, neither condones nor encourages the past actions <laughs> of Grace Strickland, okay? So moms and dads, students, don't do this. Um, so we, it was homecoming week, and uh, so it was like the air was cool, and so everybody's kind of, you know, got a little pep in their step, wanting to maybe get into trouble. And I also need to say that in this next incident of being rebels, that half the people that were with me served on the campus ministry leadership team, okay? We were sober is what I'm saying. And so, uh, so we decided we would deflate all the tires on the campus police cars. Yeah, and, uh, and so we, we snuck out one night. Uh, it was about six of us, had three cars, and the police station was right there in front, the parking lot right there, and there's, they had the window up, the blinds up, and, uh, and we just thought that we thought the window was down, the blinds were just up, so we crawl out there, and you, all you can hear is like, there's all these different cars, and then we hear this voice. You boys might as well come on out. And I was like, oh, man. And, and uh, it turns out the window was not down it was just really it wasn't just really clean the window was actually up so this guy's just been sitting here listening to us do this and so rule followers what did we do we came out and surrendered no man we scattered like flipping on like a bunch of cockroaches flipping on the lights and and here's here, here's what else happened here's what else happened these guys after listening to us if you're a police officer i'm sorry the, i support my men in blue but they jumped in the cars and chased us. All the cars had at least two flat tires. <laughs> True story. And, 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 then, and then so the next morning, the rest of the story is this. So, so we became rebels with the calls. And, but the, the next morning, uh, it was homecoming. And my wife and my girlfriend at the time, she was the homecoming queen. Woo, woo. And, and a couple of the other guys' uh, girlfriends were some of the maids. And one of the guys, one, while, while running from the police officers dives under a tree but he dove under a magnolia tree if you know anything about magnolia trees the limbs grow like all the way to the ground so when we show back up at our rendezvous point which is his house josh looks like he's been beat with a bat and we're like dude did they get you like what he's like no i dove under a magnolia tree and i hit a limb turns out he was beat with a magnolia limb and uh and so so that was that was like when when we for me when you say don't do something that's what i was like all right we, we're gonna do this we're gonna we're gonna do it for the campus we're not just gonna be rebels we're gonna be rebels for all the other rebels on the campus and we're gonna pave the way so we can get to class now here's the deal when you hear that story for some of you you're like that's the best you got gray like you should have been with us last night <laughs> like there's a reason i'm at church this morning i didn't even go home i just came straight here right <laughs> And then some of you are like, I can't believe that. I can't believe they're letting this guy communicate. And, you know, what, what if our kids do that? 
But what's true, I think about all of us, and the reason that, that's so important, or the reason this is so important to recognize, is that I think within all of us, there's a little bit of rebel. Like there's something in all of us at certain points when we, wanna, when we want to push back. And the reason that's so important to recognize is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed up on this planet and he flipped it upside down. And part of the way he flipped it upside down was by giving us some do not commandments. And these do not commandments were, were very impractical, very irrational. And, and for a lot of people, they seemed absolutely impossible. And so for us to, to recognize that there's a little rebel in us and then also to understand that Jesus gave us some do not commandments, it's important for us to realize that these do not commandments, we can say it this way, that these do not commandments, it's coming, maybe, lead to a better life because they make you better at life. And so when we feel that need to push back, when, when we look at things, what we said, when we say some, things like fear not, you're like, golly, how do, I, how do I even fear not? Like, what does that look like to fear not? In fact, we've tried this with our seven-year-old. Judah, stop being scared. Okay, dad, I'll just flip the switch. No, that, that's hard to do. Or we say things like Paul talked about last week, do not worry. When we, when we see that, we go, oh man, great, that, that's hard. And, and the way Jesus just says it, he just says it so matter-of-factly, like, hey, don't worry. And we go, uh, okay, Jesus, like, where's the worry switch? You know, and Paul helped us understand the, the context of that. And then later on, Jesus says something like this. He says, do not doubt. Now process this, like when we doubt, when we doubt, there's usually some suspicion. There's usually something that, that, that's gone wrong. There's something in our life that, that hasn't gone right or a relationship that hasn't gone right. And so to, to not doubt, we don't desire to, to doubt. We would rather not doubt. But at times that seems irrational. It seems impractical. And oftentimes it seems impossible. So it's important to remember that these are do-nots that lead to a better life because they make you better at life. We've got to remember that when we begin to unpack these do-not commandments. So this morning, the do-not commandment that we're going to talk about is one that I'm not even going to tell you what it is, all right, until the end. Because if I tell you now, many of you will, will check out, and particularly if you're new to Christianity or you're kicking the tires on faith, you'll go, great, that's exactly, that's exactly why I don't come to church. Like, that's exactly why I'm not a Christian, because y'all say things and because Jesus says things like that. Like, it's, it's absolutely impossible, impossible, it's irrational, and, and, and just to be honest, it's really impractical. So I'm going to give it to you on the back end of the message. But to understand where we're going this morning, we've got to understand a little bit of, of the context of where this story takes place. Uh, in, in the first century, the story that this ta takes place is on the Temple Mount. Now, this is a, a modern-day picture of the Temple Mount. You've got uh, the Dome of the Rock. This little dome here is the Dome of the Chain, and you've got a mosque. Now, th again, this is modern-day, uh, but this, this was there in the first century, not the domes, but the Temple Mount. And what was also there in the first century during Jesus' time was this southern wall right here. It was about 900 feet long, all right? And then connected to the southern wall, and you can't really see them, but there's a, there's a staircase right here, the southern stairs, the southern steps that led into the Temple 
temple. Now the temple entries from this point have been blocked off. But in the first century, these, these stairs led into the temple. And the reason that's important is because as the stairs led into the temple, in Jesus' time, there was a, what they called the court of the Gentiles that went around the outer part of the temple mount. And this was as far as Gentiles could go into the, the temple. Then there was a wall and there was a gate and there was the, the court of the women. This was as far as, as Jewish women could go into the temple. Beyond that was a wall and another gate and it was the altar of sacrifice. Now this is where you would go to offer your sacrifices to atone for your sin. When you sinned, you would go and, and you would offer your, offer your sacrifice to God and, and your sin would be forgiven. But beyond the altar of sacrifice was something called the holy place which contained the holy of holies. Now the Jewish people believe that God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. Not only did God dwell there, but also the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the original version of the Ten Commandments. Okay, so this is, this is a, a, a very, very important place for the Jewish people. And our, and our story, or rather our incident, takes place in the court of the Gentiles. And Jesus butted heads with the Pharisees and the religious people of his time. In fact, again, if you're new to faith, and you go, man, I, I'm kind of skeptical, skeptical about religious people and about church in general. Man, you are in great company because Jesus was too. Those were the only people that Jesus butted heads with. So we're going to pick up in the, in the Gospel of John. John chapter 8 says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So he, he comes up the steps, and the people gather. In fact, a lot of times they would gather on those steps, and the rabbis would gather, or the people would gather around the rabbi, and they would teach on these steps. But he comes up in the morning. He says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, again, these are people that do not like Jesus. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, they made her stand, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, there's no question of whether she was guilty or anything. They, they, these guys are trying, they're trying to, as we'll see later, trying to trap Jesus. They've done their homework. And, and whether they created this scenario, however they caught her, there's a lot of questions there. But she was caught in the act of adultery. They held her till the morning. Then when Jesus showed up to the temple to start teaching again, they bring this woman, embarrass her, humiliate her before Jesus and say, hey, she was caught in the act of adultery. And then this is what they say. In the law, and the law was the, the moral standard, the, the Ten Commandments. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, women that were called in adultery. Now, what do you say? And he says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, what the Pharisees were trying to do were catch Jesus between a rock and a hard place. Because Jesus really is in a conundrum here. If, if he agrees with the law of Moses and says, okay, well, let's stone her. Well, then he agrees with the Pharisees, which he has basically set himself apart from and against. And not only that, he commits an, an act of violence. But then if he says, you know what, do not stone her, don't stone her, don't kill her. You know what, she was called, but, but forget the law, forget Moses. Then he sets himself against Moses and the moral authority of the time. And so uh, you got to know that the, the Pharisees, they believe that in this moment, they have Jesus exactly, exactly where they want him. 
I would even imagine this, that some of his disciples and followers at this point, as they pose this question, and they see the conundrum, and they see Jesus being stuck between a rock and a hard place, I, I would imagine that some of the disciples begin to fade into the crowd. Like, I don't know about this. They may have got him on this one. I would imagine some, you know, Peter, we, late, we later learned that Peter uh, denied Christ. Maybe, maybe in this moment, Peter's like, oh my gosh, look at the time. You know, I, I, got the, I, got the, I got the sheep to feed. I got some homework. You know, little Peter Jr., he's got work to do. I got to help him. You know, and he kind of steps back. He's like, hey, John, tell me how it goes, right? Better, better yet, John, write it down for us. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll read it later. Because, because this was a huge point. And you could have heard a, a pin drop. And it's in these moments, it's in these moments that I would have loved to have been Jesus. Because I straight up would have been a smart aleck. I would have been like, oh, Pharisees, so you got a verse. Awesome. This is what I do with people when they talk to me about tattoos. So you, so you got a verse. Let's look, let's look at that verse. And by the way, that verse is residing just over there in the Holy of Holies in the Ark of the Covenant. So, you know, technically we could go look at it, but, but let's take a look at your verse. And I would take them back to Leviticus. Uh, and I say, if a man commits adultery, you only brought a woman. And then, and then I would keep going. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Hmm. Where's the man? I mean, come on, Pharisees, you guys are sharp. You know it takes two to tango, right? Perhaps, again, this is, this is me, not Jesus. Perhaps, Pharisees, it was one of you. Huh? I mean, where's the man? You caught her. You had to catch him too. But here's the deal, and this is, this is why I love, I love the Jesus I follow. Jesus wasn't interested and just being right and proving them wrong. In fact, I think if you look at our culture right now, that's what most people are interested in. How can I prove myself right and how can I prove them wrong? But see, Jesus was interested in displaying the greatest message that anyone could ever hear. And so this is what Jesus does. Bent, uh, G, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And then he continues. When they kept on questioning him, so imagine Jesus writing whatever in the sand, and the Pharisees are just yelling, hey, what, what's your answer? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Imagine the disciples kind of distancing themselves from Jesus, like if this thing goes bad, I got to get out of here. You know, we, we, can, we can regroup later. It says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, let me, let me put this in the context that we talked about with the Temple Mount. See, the Temple Mount, the southern stairs, that's how people enter the temple. And, they, and the people enter the temple to go and make sacrifices for their sins. So while this conversation is happening, while this incident is happening between Pharise the Pharisees and Jesus, you can hear animals being sacrificed. And so Jesus says, so which one of you who has not walked up these stairs to offer a sacrifice for your own sin, where we are, these steps that you all have traveled, this woman that you brought up here has traveled. 
you Pharisees, you religious leaders, you all have traveled up these steps through these courts to the altar of sacrifice to make a sacrifice to, to atone for your sin, to be made right with God. In this context, in this setting, the one thing the Pharisees didn't think about. So whoever hasn't made that journey, throw the first stone. And here's what's so ironic about this. There was one there who was without sin. There was one there who had made that journey up those steps and not needed to offer a sacrifice. And he was also the only one there not holding a stone. Jesus was sinless and stoneless. And then the only one that had any right to stone her was empty-handed. Look how the story continues. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman, woman still standing there. And we don't know what he's writing on the ground. Some believe that he was writing uh, the sins, of the, starting with the oldest to the youngest. And so the people that were the oldest had the, the, the largest list of sins. And so they see what he's writing. They're like, oh, okay, I need to get out of here before this gets. They connect the dots. So we don't know what he was writing, but whatever he was writing, he was exposing their self-righteousness. And then look what happens. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And this word condemn isn't, has no one found you guilty? She was found guilty. Like the Pharisees were too good not to bring someone that wasn't actually guilty of the sin they were accusing her of. There was too much at stake. She was guilty. They caught her. Nobody argued that. But what Jesus is saying, is there no one here to force the penalty on you? Is there no one here to enforce the penalty that you deserve? Is there no one here to stone you? Yes, you are guilty. They know you're guilty. I know you're guilty. Guilt is written all over your face. You've walked these stairs because of your guilt and because of your sin. And look what he says, or she says, no one, sir, she said, and don't miss this, because this is not the message Christianity has been known for. And granted, it's a very few that end up speaking for a large number of us. But this is the reason some of you came to one of our campuses this morning. This is the message that you need to hear. No one, sir, she said, and then look what Jesus said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Isn't that counterculture, cultural, to what we often hear within our faith and how we as Christians respond to those outside of our faith? Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Did you sin? Yeah. But, but I don't condemn you. And then here is, here is the do not commandment. He says, go now, leave your life of sin, or some uh, another translation, the English Standard says, "Go and from now on, sin no more." In other words, the "do not" commandment is simply this: do not sin. And doesn't that just seem impossible? I mean, most of you, if you've got little ones, 
you may, you may say, great, I sinned just to get them here. Like that's what it took. The words I had to use to get them dressed, get them in the car, I know it was sin, but by God, they're at church, right? Like, give me a break. And that's why I didn't lead with this. Because it seems so impractical. And then again, if you're new to church, you're like, that, statements like this is why I don't want to be around Christians because y'all go around pointing out everybody's sin. You say, do not sin. And this is what you've got to understand. The tone of Jesus' voice was not one of condemnation. It was of compassion. Jesus commanded, Jesus commanded, said with compassion, not condemnation. His heart was broken for her. He wasn't saying, go and, and sin no more, you, you wretched adultery. He's like, no, stop. Look what it's done to you. Because Jesus knew this, is that every sin comes prepackaged with a penalty. Every sin comes prepackaged with a penalty. And to put it very simply, it's death. Sin kills. You can even say it this way, sin promises life, right? Sin promises joy and oftentimes delivers immediately. But give sin long enough, do it long enough, and it will absolutely destroy the context that it's in. Sin promises life and joy, but sin ultimately delivers death. That's what's behind Jesus' statement. Go and sin no more. It's like, it's going to kill you. It's killing you. Later on, Jesus' half-brother, James, he said it this way, and I want you to pay attention to the words that are highlighted. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then he says this, then after desire has conceived. So after we've given in to temptation, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, literally this phrase full grown is when it, is, it has come full term, as in a, a child, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, depending on your life experience, this right here can be very visceral for you. Can seem like James is being very... Uh, insensitive that he's using careless words but the reason james says that when we give in to temptation and 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 it's conceived it gives birth to sin and then when it when it's full grown it gives birth to death he's trying to paint a very clear picture of how sin like the promise of new life and a new mom in the end delivers a stillborn and James isn't being insensitive. He's trying to help people understand that sin cannot be trusted. It's not a habit to be broken. It is something to be absolutely removed because sin promises life, but it delivers death. Sin will kill your conscience to where it doesn't feel like sin anymore. Sin will kill your self-control. Sin will kill your mind. 
Sin will kill your body. Sin will kill your relationships. Some of you right now are in family dynamics because of someone's sin and it destroyed your family. Some of you have, have friendship dynamics where you, they're not even friends anymore because of someone's sin. Or maybe you've committed the sin that has destroyed a relationship, a family, a life. Jesus tells her to go and sin no more, not because God's going to get her, but because sin was already getting her. Jesus tells her to go and sin no more, not because God's going to get her, but because Jesus died for that sin. The reason Jesus could say, go and sin no more, is he knew that not too long after this incident, that he would go to a cross and be the ultimate sacrifice for her. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Not because God's going to get you, but because God loves you and is absolutely for you. We can't afford to rebel against this do not commandment. And it's not one to restrict us, but it's one to protect us. So here's the question. What's your sin? Now let me tell you what just happened for some of you. When I said that question, when you read that question, Something came to mind, and then you immediately threw it out because you feared someone else could read your mind. Something came to mind. He said, no, 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 that's not it. God forbid it be that. But you need to go back and grab that thing because that's the thing that's going to keep you from living the life that God has called you to live, that God has created you to live. That's the thing that's going to destroy everything that your hands touch. Every relationship, every environment, every circumstance. So what's your sin? But again, asking that and identifying that's not enough. What are you going to do about it? Will you confess it to someone, a trusted friend? Will you ask for help? And the pushback is huge right here. Great, that's hard. It is. Great, that, that's not really practical. I mean, if I go exposing my sin, do you realize that what all is going to, like, this is going to be Pandora's box. This, is, this rabbit hole is never going to end. And, and that's, why, that's why Jesus encourages us to stay away from sin because it's so, it's so much easier to get entangled than to get untangled. But it's worth the effort. So yeah, the pushback is going to be hard. But I can tell you that on that day, that I would imagine those disciples were like, mm, that's kind of hard, Jesus. Like, sin no more. I mean, you didn't, even if you just said, hey, sin only five times a day. Okay, I got that. You know. But sin no more? Let me tell you what changed it for the disciples. The guy that said sin no more 
predicted his death and resurrection, and then pulled it off. Guys, the possibilities are endless if we're following Jesus. He has the power over sin. He has given you victory over sin already. That's the thing about sin. We gotta quit letting sin kill us. It's already killed our savior. Let's claim our victory and let's live in victory. What's your sin? What are you gonna do about it? Let me pray for us. Father, talking about sin is never easy. And I would imagine on all of our campuses, there are so many different things that are going through people's minds and different hearts and playing out scenarios. What if I do this? What if I tell them? What if I don't tell them? How can I manage this? And God, I just pray for courage. I pray for courage and I pray for for belief in your power. Father, that raised your son from the dead, that we have access to that. And that we don't have to push back against this sin not, but rather we can lean in to you. God, I pray for those that may not have a relationship with you. God, I pray they hear your heart. It's not one of condemnation, but of compassion of being for them. God, may this morning be another step on their journey towards you. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' perfect name. Amen. Hey, guys, we're super glad you spent your Sunday with us. Before you go, let me tell you this. Uh, I don't know if you've seen across the news, there's been issues of of like heat waves in the South. We call that July, right? And uh, so because it's July and it's hot as Hades, we got some ice cream for you guys on the way out. So be sure you get that. See you next week.